Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Karthik Nagarajan and today on this podcast we will be talking about overcoming the value gap for contracts in outsourcing engagement. Every business has contracts to manage. Failure in managing contracts can leave organization exposed to vulnerabilities of all kinds which can dent reputations, distress business relationships and limit opportunities due to inefficiencies and direct value leakage. This is where effective management of contracts related to outsourcing chips in. To better understand how contracts have to be effectively managed in the outsourcing engagement, we have Kit Burden with us today. Kit is a partner in technology and sourcing group and the co-chair of Daily Piper's sector for the last nine years. Kit advises clients in the areas of outsourcing and complex technology transactions, advising both users and suppliers of IT and outsourcing services, as well as concerning all aspects of the procurement services. He's been recognized by the Legal 500 Hall of Fame and was also awarded the Legal Advisory of the Year in 2018 at the Global Sourcing Association UK for the Top Performance and Professional Awards. Kit is also the author of four separate books on technology and outsourcing topics. With that, I'd like to welcome Kit on the broadcast today. Hi, Karthika. Thanks very much for that introduction. I almost don't recognize myself. <laughs> Look, Kit, you are a very famous personality in the industry that you belong. So it's a pleasure for us to get your views for the audience. So with that, I'll be asking a couple of your questions to get your views. Uh, if you're okay, we can start the podcast. Absolutely fine, Karthik. Thank you, Kit. So how do you see, Kit, customers and service providers approach their day-to-day management of outsourced contracts? Well, that's a very good question, Karthik, and the answer is uh, that it's with varying degrees of success in reality. If we look at the service provider side of the spectrum to begin with, clearly they should do it very well because outsourcing agreements are, after all, what they do for a living. So it's repetitive for them. It's part and parcel of business as usual. And they do tend to have people who are identified as being in a contract management role um, and therefore it's something which they have a focus upon and should have experience in. However, whilst they do tend to be better resourced than the customer side of the equation, um, unfortunately, something of a repetitive pattern that we see of failures on the part of uh, the service provider community to manage the contract appropriately. And I think largely that becomes an issue because they focus very much upon the relationship with the client uh, and ignore perhaps what the contract says. And what that unfortunately will mean is that if everything goes well with the client, then everything is hunky-dory because the relationship is good anyway. But if things start to go somewhat off track, they may then find that they haven't adhered to whatever processes the contract has laid down and then may be denied some of the relief or protections which they may have perhaps fairly thought they would be entitled to, but which they become then disentitled to because they haven't served the right kind of notice or they haven't raised the issue in the right kind of way. And of course, if things do become difficult, um, those are exactly the kind of failures in management that the, the customer will jump upon. Okay. Now, from the customer side of perspective, it's a little bit different because customers, with some exceptions, don't tend to be repeat outsourcers. So they won't do it as a business as usual endeavor and therefore they will be less sophisticated and less well resourced. So they won't necessarily have 
experience in um, partner management and even if they have a procurement team helping them with setting up the outsourcing arrangement in the first place they won't necessarily properly uh, understand the different skill set between a procurement function and partner management so what we see on the customer side is quite a wide variety of approaches to um, day-to-day management ranging between those which are very bureaucratic and contract-led and therefore perhaps quite inflexible and those which again pretty much like the supplier approach are almost entirely focused upon just the relationship and what's discussed at meetings and don't really look uh, very much at the the contract so overall what i would say is that i always don't um in any way undervalue the relationship because after all, I think it's said as a cliche, but a very true one, that a good relationship will save a project from a badly set up contract, but a good contract probably won't help the parties to success if the relationship is bad. But what you absolutely mustn't do is ignore what the contract has set out in terms of a process and a management structure. So it's got to be relationship management in the context of what the contract has laid down. So true, so true, Kirk. And like you correctly mentioned, right? purely from a supplier's end, it is repetitive, but at the same time, there are some nuances that are maybe literally missed till you get to the other end of the relationship, right? Things fall apart and therefore you feel, oh my God, I didn't adhere to the contract really well. And on the other side, from a client or customer perspective, it starts with the relationship and because outsourcing contracts for that one customer might not be many. So it's kind of less sophisticated, more relationship-driven, etc. So very, very valid. And therefore, it brings you to the next question. So therefore, what, according to you, uh, Kit, are the evident gaps in the current contract management process for outsourcing concerned? What are the most common mistakes leading to these kind of value leakages? Well, I think probably the single worst mistake would be to just sign the contract which the parties have spent probably months um, getting into shape and then simply placing it in the bottom drawer of the desk and never looking at it again unless and until problems arise. Because if you do that, it's too late. The time you want to pull up the contract, the chances are you've already deviated from the process that it would have laid down. So the common issues we see, um, firstly, is that when change arises, and let's face it, in an outsourcing context, um, there's nothing as certain as death, taxes and change. you need to both recognize the changes and then document them appropriately. And obviously most outsourcing contracts have detailed change control processes, but unfortunately they're not followed uh, as as well as they should be. Mm. And then when disputes then arise later on, everybody throws up their hands and say, well, but we'd agree something different. That's just not the way things are working on the ground, but nobody's documented that. Mm. So you then have a, a disjunct between what's actually happening and what the parties may even have agreed was supposed to have happened, and then what the contract says. So that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Second major problem is the supply side failing to follow the process of dealing with customer defaults and delays. So in most large-scale outsourcing contracts, we see clauses which are variously called either the relief event clause or the excused event clause. And the net effect of that kind of provision is to say that even if the customer is to blame for delay or or not doing something, the supplier will only get relief for the consequences of that if it has contemporaneously and often with a specific format or template 
actually notify the customer of it in writing so as to enable the customer to take remedial action. So very often we see projects where arguably the customer hasn't done what it was supposed to do, mm -hmm. but the service provider hasn't then notified appropriately and therefore loses the entitlement to relief. And that's a, that then can feel very unfair, but nonetheless is what the contract will be mandating. Mm -hmm. The third problem is um, failing to, to produce what I would see as being a crucial deliverable following the conclusion of any contract, which is the creation of some kind of manageable contract guide. So rather than having to go back to the full contract on a day-to-day -day basis, it's dead to create some more handy user guide, which will say, what is it that's supposed to be done by when, what key deliverables are there, so that you've got a much more manageable and user-friendly guide, which will ensure that things aren't missed. Um, I think the fourth point I would pick up is that um, the parties do need to understand that um, partnership is, is key to an outsourcing arrangement. And, and again, to use a cliche, it's often said that an outsourcing is like a marriage in the sense that it's something that you don't just say your vows at the beginning, you just need to work at it over a period of years thereafter. Um, so both parties need to recognize, I think, just conceptually that that is the case and be willing, therefore, to work at it, mm. uh, regardless of what the contract says, but to, to recognize that they need to, to, to do those things. And then the final thing I would say was the problem in terms of contract management is, again, on the customer side, which is when they fall into the trap of micromanaging the supplier. And by that, I mean that often they'll have had ways of working before the outsourcing took place. Um, and then when they sign the contract, they pass on responsibility to the supplier. They're almost then looking over the shoulder of the supplier saying, oh, no, I don't think you want to do it like that. I think mm. you need to do it like this because this is how I used to do it. Losing track of the fact that part of the benefit of the deal may well have been that the supplier was going to do things differently or was going to introduce process of improvements or efficiencies. And so then you have a disjunct between the supplier who feels frustrated because you know, they need to be left alone to manage their delivery of the services so as to deliver the contractual commitments they've made and the customer who just can't leave well enough alone mm. and wants to constantly dabble with things to try to, to get it to look more familiar to it. And with that, let's say from an outsourcing point of view, right? Let's take outsourcing as a solution. How do you see this? And this is a new point, right? Everybody started using, right? OAS, which is outsourcing as a solution to firstly assess all the possible gaps, right? What you know, the gaps exist. And then therefore also do the implementation of the right set of process and technology at the very onset. So what's your take on how do you see this entire outsourcing solution working for you? I would say outsourcing has always been a solution. Um, what I think the, the phrase goes to, however, is the realization that um, it's a solution to more problems than people might have at first thought. Hmm. So I think traditionally people have thought, oh, outsourcing is all about either cost reduction first and foremost, maybe service improvement, maybe additional flexibility. Yeah, those are the, uh, those are the things that people have thought was the problem that outsourcing was providing a solution for. Mm -hmm. I think, however, as the market has continued to evolve, become much more um, sophisticated and mature, people have realized that it's actually a solution to a far greater range of strategic needs for an organization. So for example, I'm dealing with one BPO transaction at the moment where the customer is utilizing the outsourcing to uh, impose a degree of 
of homogeneity upon a very, very disparate service landscape mm -hmm. brought about because um, the client in question has gone through a whole range of mergers and acquisitions in very short order over recent years. So there the outsourcing is about actually uh, obtaining a degree of strategic control over the customer's own business. So I think it's very important to realize that the solution that the outsourcing transaction is geared towards may have lots of different facets. So it could be cost reduction, it could be service improvement, it could be increased flexibility, it could be shifting spend from CapEx to OpEx. Um, all of these um, levers may be equally important to the customer and indeed to the service provider. But what's absolutely key is that the people who are setting up the deal and then the contract negotiators who follow thereafter are very aware of what those key drivers are so that they can make sure that the contract which is then negotiated actually fits with the priorities of the parties. What all too often we see as, as a failure in the process is the people who pull out a, a standard template contract or a standard template process and think, well, this will do. But re the reality in outsourcing is that it is not a one-size-fits-all process and you therefore need to understand, well, yes, outsourcing is a solution, but what is it a solution for? And let's make sure then that we aim appropriately. And therefore it brings to a different set of questions on outsourcing, right? So for example, from based on your experience, Kid, what are the expected deviations in a typical outsourcing model? And how can one ensure that the deviations are lessened and therefore the deliverables remain on track? What's your take on that? So the possibility for problems arising, uh, obviously they're very, very varied depending upon the nature of the service, the nature of the customer, the geography involved and so on. But if I was to, to pick out the most common issues of uh, service delivery that we see arising. So um, firstly is actually more on the customer side that the customer's initial due diligence has been deficient, mm. such that the true picture on the ground when service um, commencement occurs is different to that which the service provider anticipated. And it's almost as if certain customers just shut their eyes to it, think that they'll use the leverage of the negotiation process to get the suppliers to commit to make things better. And then magically, when they arrive on site, a magic wand will be waved and everything will be great. Mm -hmm. And of course, the reality is if it was a problem for the customer, it's going to be a problem for the service provider. And it's just then a question of, well, who then runs the contractual risk and burden. And even when I'm on the customer side of the fence in terms of negotiations, I don't think that's a good thing to do because the last thing you want is a service provider who is bleeding from day one. Correct. So that's the, the first problem. Second um, deviation is where unfortunately the service provider has just underestimated the complexity of the, the customer requirements or equally may have overestimated its service delivery capabilities. And unfortunately, running competitive procurement processes, as most major outsourcing transactions go through, exacerbates this risk because service providers obviously are very keen to win the work. Obviously, they will be pushed to do things in terms of their assessment of the requirements in truncated timescales. And that may unfortunately then lead to them taking greater risks than they might have ideally taken. Wow. So then obviously you've got a, a contract which becomes difficult to meet in practice. Third issue is all about staff. Hmm. And there's two issues in terms of staff. Firstly is in outsourcings in many jurisdictions, um, 
it it will involve staff transfers. So obviously in Europe that may happen as a process of law mm. because of the acquired rights directive, but in other jurisdictions it will be situations where the customer wants offers to be made to enable existing personnel who have subject matter knowledge to transfer across as part of the deal. So the first problem is what if a number of those crucial staff with all of that knowledge don't transfer across hmm. will it be possible to do appropriate knowledge transfer at the beginning because our experience has been that if more people than anticipated choose not to transfer ensuring knowledge transfer within a reasonable period of time at the beginning of the process during transition can actually be very challenging hmm. even once the contract has started there may then be issues of staff attrition and this obviously varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction um but you know, sometimes staff attrition rates shoot up it may be just because of how hot the market is running generally but we've even seen examples it with some nearshore centers for example where staff attrition all of a sudden goes through the roof for a particular um, service delivery center because one or more competitor organizations have just started a new service delivery center in the near vicinity and have obviously then paid a premium to attract lots of staff across to them. Mm -hmm. So that can then create at least initial spikes in terms of availability of staff. The next problem I would pick up is uh, where there is a lack of genuine and consistent customer support. So it may be in terms of the availability of the customer's IT systems, it could be in relation to the quality or availability of customer information, but you know, back to my point about it being a partnership sometimes it's the customer who is not helping the service provider to deliver which is the root cause of the problem rather than just the service provider being negligent or not um, assigning sufficiently um, qualified or experienced staff hmm. and then the fifth uh, cause of deviations is a lack of genuine transparency and willingness to work through problems together hmm. so there is a tendency on both sides to perhaps hide the fact that for example transition is running behind schedule or that there is a greater than anticipated degree of difficulty in, in achieving some um, of the anticipated transform, transformation activities. And if you don't tell the other party sufficiently early, firstly, you remove the possibility that maybe they can do something to help and you likely increase the chances of them being more frustrated and more upset would eventually have to disclose the problem later on when the chance of doing anything about it are, are much reduced. Mm -hmm. Now, the contract um, obviously will probably deal with a lot of these issues in terms of setting out what the remedies will be if things go off track. But the best solution in actual fact is to have a contract which through its provisions and the governance structures which it, it includes actually encourages openness and while still reserving the sanctions for ultimate project failure if that was to arise, also allows for the possibility of incentivization for project success. And that's where we get towards that almost mythical beast of the win-win contract. Got it, got it. And like you correctly mentioned, right? I think it's even the customer, uh, you know, who should be pushing for openness, transparent contracts, so that the supplier are able to come to terms on the issues and they can jointly work up, right? So with that, let's say if there's one advice that you'd like to give it for you know, outsource work, right? What advice would you give organizations to customers to ensure continuous value improvement in their process, especially if they work with an outsource partner, right? Because that's where it becomes tricky. So what, what are some things that you'd like to talk about based on your experience? 
So continuous value improvement, again, is something which is easy to write into a contract as an aspiration, but quite difficult to ensure that it's delivered in practice. Um, but if I was to, to pick out the things which would be most likely to engender that type of um, continuous value improvement, it would probably be just four things. Firstly, don't overcomplicate the governance structure. Focus upon the meetings and reports which are generally required so that you don't lose sight of the wood for the trees. Mm -hmm. Secondly, in doing so, ensure that you've got appropriately senior people involved. And that's on both sides because appropriately senior people on the service provider side will be most likely to be able to mobilize resource and activity from the service provider and appropriate people on the customer side are more likely to be able to make the necessary calls to make sure that any blockages are cut through on the customer side. Thirdly is always to remember from the customer's perspective about the attractiveness of the carrot as well as the threat of the stick. So yes, contracts will necessarily need to think about sanctions and remedies in the event that things go wrong. To my experience, service providers are just as likely, if not more likely, to pull their fingers out and make sure that good things happen, including in terms of a future delivery of continuous value, uh, if there is some tangible upside for them doing so. So whether that's through some kind of gain share mechanism or some setting up some kind of innovation fund, all of these are options that we have seen um, put in place in well-run um, arrangements. And then coming back to the comment I made just before, mm -hmm. uh, I would value transparency and openness in all things. I mean, there is a tendency, I think, to be a bit worried about uh, how the other party might react if you come clean and share a problem that you have with them. But to my mind, people tend to react better than you think they're going to be as long as you are honest with them and are more likely rather than less likely to work with you to help resolve them. So true, so true. Thank you, Kit, for a very informative conversation on overcoming the value gap for contracts and outsourcing engagement. I'm sure that all our listeners will benefit from these insights. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. If you have any questions on the subject or have suggestions for future topics, please write to us at thinknext at nextm.com. You all have a great day ahead. Thank you all. Bye-bye.